The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Uh, many of you have had experiences with God. You've had various encounters in life that changed you forever. Today we're looking at an experience, and this experience, this encounter, Uh, actually changed the disciples. I believe it altered their course. Um, What's interesting about this is they were walking with Jesus for three years, yet they did not know what to do with this experience. Uh, They're walking with Jesus and they encounter an experience today in the story where this, this passage is this glaring reality of an experience happening. They don't know what to do with it. They don't have a category for it, but they learn that through this experience, they understand the heart of God They discover the kingdom of God on a deeper level, and they get to see what intimacy with God is really all about. So today's experience, we're talking about extravagant worship, and we're going to see a picture of extravagant worship today that is, I think, altering. Uh, If you've ever had encounters with God through worship, I know when we talk about worship, uh, it means different things to different people. Um, Maybe you would consider yourself a worshiper, maybe you wouldn't. Uh, What is worship? What does it look like? Uh, We're going to look at that a little bit today, but we all have different experiences with this, whether we understand it deeply or we're learning about it, whether worship is something that we partner with God and enter into, or we sit back and we observe it. We're all in different places, but I'm telling you this encounter with God that happens through worship is a life-altering experience, and it's a very blessable experience. I believe it changed the lives of the disciples Uh, in this passage. So we're in Matthew 26. If you guys have your Bible, um, you can follow along there or on your phone device or whatever you read, however you read your word. And uh, we're continuing through this gospel of Matthew. And this is picking up where we left off last week. We're going to look at this in sections. It's really powerful. Let's see uh, where this starts. Verse one, chapter 26 says this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Um, This is just the opening of our passage, and it sets up the whole narrative of Jesus and his ministry for three years is taking a dramatic shift right now. He talked about all the things to come. He talked about the future of prophecy, talked about the kingdom of God, all these uh, amazing things. And he said, when I go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to me. And right now in the story, it's just officially happening. There was ideas of this, but we're seeing it actually officially take place. And these are the religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus. Now here's the irony. This is Passover weekend. It says Passover is two days away. And this is what's so ironic about Passover. The Passover celebration is all about what God told Moses to do in Egypt. And the Jewish people have been, at this point in the story, uh, have been celebrating Passover for 1,500 years. And the Passover was all about simply this. If you believe God, you apply the blood of the lamb to your doorpost. People were living in Egypt, living under bondage, living in slavery to the Egyptians, being mistreated, wanting to get away from bondage, and wanting to go to a promised land that was promised to them. But they're in this place of bondage. And God says, here's what you need to do. 
If you believe my word, then trust me and follow through in faith. Here's the Passover. Apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of your house. And if you believe me and you apply the blood of the lamb to your house, you will be passed over. The consequences, bad things, will be passed over you. you they will miss you. And you are going to be delivered into a promised land. You're going to be set free from this bondage. So the Israelites realize if God says it, we're going to do it. They apply the blood of the lamb. They are, in fact, passed over. No harm comes upon them, but only the oppressors who are oppressing them. And sure enough, very quickly later, they're released out of bondage on their way to the promised land. And what's so amazing about that is God also told Moses, listen, Moses, someone greater than you is going to come. It's going to be this great prophet, this Messiah figure. Tell the people, look for him, because when he comes, he's going to do deliverance 2.0. So the, the, the thing is, Israel knows 1,500 years celebrating the Passover, applying the blood, bad things pass over you, you get delivered out of bondage into the promised land, and the promised Messiah is going to come. Israel knows this, 1,500 years. Promised Messiah shows up. He's in Jerusalem. It's Passover weekend. And the religious leaders, instead of recognizing him, are wanting to crucify him. And this is what's so amazing is, is how could they not recognize their long-awaited Messiah? Now, many Jewish people did. All the disciples were Jewish. Crowds of people were starting to follow him. Many are, but the religious leaders were not, the religious leaders at large. And so that's what's going on in this passage, and that's the setup to our, to our story today. So it starts in verse 6, moving into this encounter that changed uh, people dramatically. Uh, it's changed me, maybe it's changed you, but reading this story reminds me of profound things. And I want to say this before we get into this. I don't know if any of you guys are note takers or that's your style or not, but I want to encourage you to, to write these notes down or put them in your phone because worship is not a topic that's spoken about uh, often, and I don't think it's spoken about very deeply. Uh, be, and I think that's because people have different persuasions when it comes to worship, what it is, what it's not, how they feel about it. Uh, And and I I appreciate that, but I think we're going to see something glaring right here that Jesus wants you to know about worship. He wants me to know about worship. He wants us to unpack the magnitude, the power, and the beauty of worship. And I think if you guys don't actually, if we don't dive into this together and really travel along in the story, we're just going to look at worship as some subjective random thing, style, preference, instead of the beauty and the magnitude for which it which it really is. So I would encourage you to take some notes today on a couple of these key points. But it starts in verse 6, and it says this. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. So here's Jesus just outside of Jerusalem, where he's about to be brought in on Passover weekend and actually be crucified very quickly, like arrested the next night. And so here we have this passage where Jesus is just outside the city. And it's in Bethany, and it's at the home of Simon the leper. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the detail about Simon the leper, but probably this was one of the lepers healed by Jesus because lepers live in leper colonies. They live away from the people. They live downwind because everyone was afraid of their germs getting on them. And they put people, they didn't get to live in a house in a community like this. So this Simon the leper likely was healed by Jesus. And he's opening his home for one primary reason, 
Because when you've had an encounter with Jesus, you're typically filled with gratitude. Can I get a witness? Listen, if you realize what he really did for you, you are filled with gratitude. Sometimes we forget what he really did for us, and we're not filled with gratitude. But I want to encourage you, gratitude is central to the story Simon the leper is opening his house because he is filled with gratitude. And this is where things begin. Uh, In John 12, it tells us some details about this story, some little nuances that we don't see right here. And Mark's gospel also covers this story. It's in three of the gospels because it's so important. Uh, And John 12 tells us that that Lazarus uh, is there also who was just quote-unquote raised from the dead. So now we see Lazarus was raised from the dead. Let me ask you something. If Jesus raised you from the dead here in this planet, how grateful would you be? Come on. I'm not talking about the check came in or God opened the door or you got a job. I'm talking about raised you from the dead. Come on. You're going to be more grateful than anybody. Guess what? He's in the house too. You got Simon the leper. You got Lazarus raised from the dead. Guys, glaring reality in the story. This is a house filled with gratitude. Are you guys seeing that? That's important because everything hinges upon a house of gratitude. This is a house of gratitude, and something extravagant is about to happen in this house of gratitude. If you're a note taker, please write this down because it's important. It can change your life. It can change your present, and it can change your future. The first point is this. Do you have a house of gratitude? Do you have a house of gratitude? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, or maybe you haven't been so grateful in a while, but I'm telling you, everything we see in this story surround some beautiful, a beautiful picture of truckloads of gratitude to Jesus Christ. Can't deny that. Something really cool is about to happen. I would also say that's the same in your house. If you have a house of gratitude and Jesus is invited in your house, listen, you're going to have some cool things happen in your house too. If you have a house of gratitude, house of gratitude is where it begins, guys. Um, In fact, Jesus taught to pray that way. How should you pray? Father in heaven, holy is your name. It's gratitude, it's thanks, it's praise. Before he even started asking for stuff, it started with gratitude. The Bible says we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. Gratitude is this pathway. And I'm just telling you, if you've got gratitude in your house uh, and Jesus is invited into that place of gratitude, beautiful things follow. And and if not, you might miss some experiences uh, that are biblical and beautiful Uh, So also there is Lazarus's sister, uh, Martha and Mary. We know that from John's gospel, Mark's gospel. We see that in this passage here. We start to understand who these people are in detail. And it says in the other gospels that in the middle of the meal, the meal's going on. So everyone's sitting down. Martha's cooking up this amazing food and dishing it out. Everyone's at the table with Jesus, house full of gratitude. And right in the middle of the meal, Mary drops at the table gets down on her feet, starts pouring oil on Jesus and getting down, uh, you know, wiping her feet with her hair, right, right in the middle of a meal. I mean, everyone's eating, and it says right here that she, she takes this very expensive perfume, which is hard for us to imagine what that would be in the old days. Uh, my understanding, the Bible says it's pure nard, and this nard is like a musk kind of oil that came from the Himalayas. So even in the Middle East, for this content, the substance of this perfume to come all the way from the Himalayas. Somebody came a long way with a camel, uh, getting through bandits and everything to get this perfume to Israel. I don't know how Mary had this perfume, but she's got this perfume of profound value. And for thousands of years, uh, people have been trying to smell good. Thank God for that, right? 
For thousands of years, people have been trying to smell good. That's what it tells you. Uh, in fact, it's been estimated that the, the fragrance industry globally is about $40 billion a year of people trying to smell good. And I thank God for that. Uh, it doesn't matter whether they're buying their fragrance at Nordstrom or the Dollar Tree. I'm just glad people are investing uh, in the fragrance business. Uh, but Mary was too. Mary had this profound thing of value. In fact, uh, we have a picture of, yeah, the most expensive perfume in the world. That's $215,000 a bottle. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a little, little on the pricey side. Um, Clive Christian, sweetheart, don't look at that perfume. Don't, please don't ask for that for Christmas. Um, I'll be your Christian, okay? We'll go with Chanel number five. Is that cool? Can we, is that good? Good. Um, but anyway, that's, that's historically, there's always been people wanting better and better and better and more unique uh, perfumes. And uh, hers is estimated to be a year's wage, which in LA, that'd be 50, 60 grand a year as an average. So she's got like 50, $60,000 bottle of perfume. And she also has a profound alabaster jar. And the Bible says she broke it open. So it's not one you screw the top off give it a little tip. It's one that's sealed permanently to keep the value and never leak out. And she decided busting this thing wide open. And so she also has some really expensive jar uh, that it's in. Uh, but, but Mary, she has this perfume and she breaks it. And the reason she breaks it is because what she's about to do is totally unreserved. She's not holding back. She's not uh, intrepid. She's not like, well, let me give him a little drop, put my lid on, and put it away. She's like, I'm busting this thing wide open. Push. And she just breaks it open and totally unreserved, pours it all over Jesus. Just breaks it and just pouring it all over him, which is just, everyone at the meal is like, what is she doing as they're eating their falafel? You know, like, what is she doing? And so she's breaking it. She's pouring it all over the place, and she empties every last drop in the bottle. And what you have to know is as she was pouring this out, she was really pouring out the depths of her soul. Do you see that? That's what's going on here. As she's pouring out the perfume on Jesus, she's pouring out the depths of her very soul. That's what this whole thing is about. Her pouring out isn't just perfume. uh, Jesus taught her where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus taught her that. She knows that. She sees that. She gets that. And that's why she's like, here's my treasure. You're my treasure, Jesus. And she's doing this thing. And no one at the table gets it. Nobody comprehends it. Nobody understands it. No one can get their mind around it because it defies logic. It defies reason. It defies understanding. But it's a spiritual reality to Mary going, I don't know if you guys get it. I don't care if you guys get it. This is real. This is what matters. And she's doing this in the middle of uh, the thing. And she's breaking the bottle open and pouring it all over Jesus. Here's a key point. Second point this morning is this. Worship, worship, by definition, worship is pouring it all out over Jesus. That's what worship is, pouring it all out over Jesus. Thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory, the one who was and is and is to come, the one seated at the right hand of the Father who came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion, pouring it all out over Jesus. This is central Uh, to what it's about, and she gets it. This is like a bullseye. She gets worship, I believe, more than anybody in the New Testament. Mary, in this story, gets worship, and she's teaching all of us in the process and teaching everyone that's in the room with her right now. So after she pours out every last drop, uh, it says that she dries off Jesus' feet with her hair. Again, everyone's eating, you know, past the hummus, and she's on the ground like, 
with her hair down on the ground, and they're like, what is she doing? I mean, this, we're eating dinner. She's like down by the dirt, wiping with her hair. And they're like, that's ridiculous. Everyone in the situation here uh, doesn't really understand that. We're going to look at this in a minute. But it does tell us this, guys. Because of her act, because of what she did, the passage tells us that the entire house was filled with the fragrance. The entire house was filled with the fragrance of her worship. And that's the third point this morning, that worship has a fragrance. Worship has a fragrance. It's a beautiful aroma to God. The Bible talks about us being aroma, our lifestyle, our worship, being an aroma to God, literally beautiful in his sight. Worship has a fragrance, and it is experienced by everyone in the house. If we come to the house of God here at Metro Church, and we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, and God is inhabiting our praises, there is an aroma to God. Did you know that? You can be part of the aroma or you can sit back and observe the aroma, but, but at least you get to smell the aroma and there's an appreciation for that aroma. Worship has a fragrance and the whole house gets to experience the fragrance when you're experiencing worship. That is true in your house also. When you go home, house, apartment, condo, doesn't matter whether you're renting a room, worship in your house, listen, worship in your house will release a fragrance and it's a beautiful fragrance to the Lord. The Lord loves it. It's a beautiful fragrance. And again, that's just a little uncharted for some of us because if you've never really been taught about this or stepped into it by faith, you know, what is worship? Is it a thing we just observe and we listen to music and that's nice, encouraging sounds. That's what it seems like from the outside. But Mary's not on the outside. Listen, there's a lot of believers in this story that are on the outside. But Mary's not on the outside when it comes to worship. Mary is all the way on the inside. Does that make sense? Some are observers, and they believe, but Mary is stepping into worship. And I'll be honest with you, we'll see this unfold in a minute, but it's an interesting tension. Um, the house is filled with the fragrance, and it's all because Mary makes this extravagant display of love and devotion to Jesus, and that is actually what the fragrance is. Your display, your pouring out to Jesus is, is a fragrance, and, and the fragrance has a broader and wider uh, effect. And we see in the story, uh, even though this is the beautiful act of worship, not all, not all appreciate worship and not all think worship should be all out. Now, I will say when I was coming to faith, I went to a church that had a big em- emphasis on music. And honestly, I would get there and I was a musician playing all these Hollywood clubs. And so I was kind of critical about music. And so uh, I would just wait kind of till the end when the music was over and I would get to the church at that time. Why? Because the music didn't, quote unquote, do anything for me. That's my, that's my worldview at the time. You know, coming to the Lord, brand new believer, the music doesn't do anything for me, so why would I come for that? It doesn't, I want to get there for the message because I want to be encouraged. Give me something good, insight, revelation, power, encouragement, you know, hopefully something's going to be good today that I'm going to get, but the worship, I don't get anything out of that, so I missed it. And that's because I was an outsider looking in. And along the way, through faith, God takes you on the journey to discover what it really is in the first place. And then, when you discover, are you willing to step into it or not? The Bible says God is spirit. And God is looking for worshipers, John chapter 4. God, listen, God is looking for worshipers. The kind of worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And that's a call to you and I to say God is looking for us to step into worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we should make a lifelong process of discovering what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth. That's a a very commendable intention. God, I want to know what it means to worship. Beautiful. Take that journey. But to know that God's calling you not to observe and not to be a spectator, but to step into worship in spirit and in truth is what it's all about. But not everybody, our fourth point this morning, is not everybody appreciates the worth of worship. And I was one of them. And so I get it. This is part of the journey that we have as disciples. Do we understand and appreciate the worth of worship or not? Um, And not everybody does. In fact, somebody could look at a diamond uh, and somebody could say, that is so remarkable. Uh, That is one of a kind. Um, And I don't have a diamond here. I'm acting like I do. Um, That is one of a kind. It's amazing. Uh, It's unique. There's only one in the world like it. Uh, It's got its own little flaws, which make part of it, you know, the beauty of it and the cut of it and the size or the color and all this other stuff. And that is a one of a kind that's beautiful and it's valuable. Somebody else can look at that same diamond and go, "Uh, yeah, it's really just a piece of carbon. (laughs) Did you know a diamond's carbon? Just carbon. It's just carbon. Honestly, it's just carbon. It's carbon that's been under the ground, and yes, it's been pressed for a long time with a lot of heat over a lot of years, but the point is, it's just carbon. What's the big deal? So to somebody, it's just a piece of carbon, and to somebody, it's a beautiful, priceless gem. Not everyone sees worth the same way. Do you see that? And it's the same with Jesus. It's the same with worship. It's the same with adoration. Not everybody sees this the same way. And how do we know that? Because verse 6 tells us, excuse me, verse 8 tells us, When the disciples saw this, this epic act of worship, monumental act of worship, most beautiful one we've seen in the New Testament, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. There's a clear tension in the story. Can't can't miss it. It's glaring tension in the story. Everyone in the house is a believer. They're around Jesus, the disciples. That's why they're called disciples. So we got a house full of disciples, but not everyone who's a disciple seems to be a worshiper because there's one in the story going after it with Jesus and being a worshiper, and there's others that are believers, but they're very critical of what's going on. In fact, it says they're indignant, which means they were fuming mad. These guys were bent out of shape. Now, she's doing something that Jesus doesn't think is bent out of shape, but they're very convinced it's bent out of shape. And that's a glaring tension that you and I cannot ignore in the story. There's a dichotomy going on here. What Mary is calling worship, they're calling waste. It's one or the other. Is it worship or is it waste? Well, I guess it depends on what you value. If someone sees it as a diamond, it's value. If somebody sees it as carbon... It's waste. And that's what's going on in the story. It's so expensive, they said. This is so wasteful. It could have been used for the poor. Um, they, they would think given to the poor is way smarter and a way better, higher value and resource than what currently was just done. But they missed, the disciples missed it. They didn't understand, listen, they didn't understand the full value of Jesus. I really don't think they did. Not at this point. Because they missed this completely. If they understood the full value of Jesus, I know that sounds like a pretty broad statement, but it's glaring to me in the story, they didn't understand worship and they didn't understand the full value of Jesus. And you're saying, is worship and value the same thing, Pastor B? 
Yes, it is, unequivocally. It's the same thing. Worship and understanding worth are synonymous. They go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. The disciples totally missed it. Mary, listen, Mary had a far greater valuation of Jesus than the disciples did. You know, in the stock market, they have these people that are analysts and they try to figure out, you know, as people are investing, you know, what, which stock should you get into and why not? And it's, you know, subjective. They're doing math data. They're looking at the company, the future and all this stuff. And they put a valuation. They, they go, based on what they're selling and what they're coming up with, it should end up being here. Now, they don't know if it's going to be there, but they're going, it might be here. So here's the valuation we're going to put on it. And they put these valuations on things or they see a company that's really hurting and they go, we're lowering that valuation because we don't think that company's going to be around in a few years. So they put these valuations based on what they, what they see. And with Jesus right here, Mary has a high, greater valuation. She has a higher valuation on Jesus than the disciples do. Because what she does, she says, this is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. She's not floundering or guessing or wondering, should she do this? It's like, I have to do this. It's a natural expe- uh, response for me. And everyone else is sitting there with their arms folded, just shaking their head, going, what are you doing? They're actually mad about it. So valuation is different. Uh, our fifth point this morning is this, guys, if you're a note taker. Worship is worth-ship. Worship is worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. What is Jesus worth to me? That's the golden question because that's what worship is. In fact, worship is a compound word. It's made up of two things. The word worth, where we get valuation, and ship, what we take ownership of. Craftsmanship, how we make things. Marksmanship, how we aim and you know, shoot at things. Whatever that might be, whatever is craftsmanship. It could be any kind of um, thing, but it's what we own and what we do with something. And so ship has to do with that worth is valuation or how you and I judge value. And this is simply saying, guys, worship is how you and I value what we aim our worship at. Valuation. Worship is, in fact, worship. And Mary's actions seemed foolish, even undignified to everyone else. What is she doing? She's in the middle of the meal, pouring all that oil, wasting all her money, messing everything up. This is totally dumb. It makes no sense. And then she gets on the floor in the middle of the meal. What are you doing down there? That's undignified, that's unladen, get off the floor, we're trying to have a meal, and she's over there wiping her hair, you know, as they're spilling their falafel everywhere, you know, she's over here wiping her hair, doing this, and it's a scene like, Mary, 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 this is dumb, they're thinking this is dumb, and they think this is very undignified, and they think it's very wasteful, and that's the dichotomy in the story, that there's completely polarized views on what is worship and what is valuation and where we place it and when we do and how we do. Some get it and some don't. Even though they're believers in the story, not everybody sees this thing of worship the same way. And uh, this is pretty interesting because in the Old Testament, we see something very similar to this when it comes to valuation and, and, and how, we, you know, how dignified we're going to be and how proper we're going to be or how, uh, what it's worth and what it's not worth and what will people think of us and uh, she's on the floor in the middle of a meal and everyone thinks that's the dumbest thing ever, like get up and be respectful and get off the ground and don't wipe, somebody's, don't wipe your hair on somebody's feet, Mary. I mean, this whole thing is just, just a big mess. And in the Old Testament, David, David, who became king, was a young worshiper. We know that from Scripture. He wrote many of our psalms, which are songs. He was a worshiper. He understood worship in the Old Testament very well. He worshiped 
out in the fields, later becomes the king. He's still a worshiper. And when the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, which they carried through the desert, uh, was brought to Jerusalem, David was celebrating with all his might. And he's out front and he's dancing and he's singing and he's celebrating and he's worshiping God with every bone in his body. Instead of Mary pouring out perfume, uh, David was just pouring out everything he had on the inside. He's like, God, you are good. He's dancing, he's singing, he's yelling. And it's a big, like a parade. They got the the, the ark with them, and they're going up, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, our God is good, and they're, they're going up to Jerusalem. It's this awesome celebration of Israel. It was like revival. It was renewal, and as he's going up, he worships with his heart out, um, but some joined him. Many joined him, but listen, not everybody. Some critiqued. Now, everyone believed in God, but some joined him in the worship, and some, some critiqued, and what they thought is, this is foolish, this whole thing is, that whole display you did is just foolish. It's just, why would you do something so dumb? That's kind of what it was. In fact, it says that when he came back, his wife told him, uh, when David returned after the worship celebration, uh, his wife was sneering. She was really upset. And she said, what you did was so undignified. How, how dare you be so undignified? Like, why don't you tr- act respectfully and, and don't like, all that singing before the Lord, what is that nonsense? That's so undignified of you. And David says, um, what I just did, I did before the Lord. And I will continue to do worship and celebration before the Lord. And in fact, he goes, in fact, my celebration before the Lord, it's going to become even more undignified than this. Listen, if you think that's undignified, I don't really care what people think is indignified. Undignified is what David's saying. It doesn't matter if, because this is not about dignity according to people, amen? Your worship is not about dignity according to people. And that was part of my struggle is when I became a worshiper or, or was gonna step into this, I was worried about what people thought. Can I get a witness? Anybody else in the room? Okay, let's be real about this. I cared because there's people in the room. I'm supposed to be worshiping in spirit and in truth, but really I'm in a room with other people and lights on, and I don't want them to think of me something weird, and I'm, I'm wondering about them if they're wondering about me and all that weird stuff. And, and, and the Bible says you better come to terms with dignity, what it means, and, and, and don't try to live your life so dignified in the eyes of others when the reality is we want to be dignified in the eyes of God, Amen. That's what worship is. And if we can't get our head and our heart around that struggle, we're never going to step into worship and be worshipers. But David's like, I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. I'm going to keep celebrating with all my life. And I'm even going to get more undignified than this. And Mary at the table, they're shaking their head like, Mary, what are you doing? You've lost it. You've lost it. On the ground, wiping your hair down in the dirt. This is just dumb. And we're going to see this, this amazing tension unfold right here. So the disciples had the same indignation. It says the disciples were indignant. The disciples, the ones who walked with Jesus for three years, and they learned these things of the miraculous. They believe he's the Messiah, but this kind of worship thing is way beyond the call of duty. They're actually mad that it went that way. It moves on in verse 10, and it says this, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, 
what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, in all fairness, Mary probably did not know that this oil was a preparation for the burial, as Jesus is saying, this is good. She didn't probably know that. She just simply loves Jesus. She's in a house of gratitude. Simon the leper is there, full of gratitude. He's probably going, this is awesome. Lazarus, raised from the dead. He's probably going, this is awesome. Mary, whose brother was raised from the dead, is going, this is awesome. Jesus is worthy of it. Everyone else is going, this is dumb. This is absolutely wasteful and dumb. So not everyone's seeing this the same. Uh, But even if she had done this to Jesus months earlier in the story, months, months, months earlier, I really don't think Jesus would say, Mary, stop pouring out your perfume. That is dumb. Mary, do not put out, pour out value in an act of worship to me. That is, I, don't, I really don't see um, Jesus doing that when people acknowledge him for who he is. He is worthy of all honor and praise, the Bible says. We either believe that or we don't. Mary's actually, actually following through by faith. Jesus taught her where your treasure is, your heart is also. Jesus is like, this is just what I do. This is just a response to who you are. This is a response to what you've done for me personally. I'm just filled with gratitude. And since I'm filled with gratitude, you are worthy, Jesus. And I I just want my life to be an act of worship because I see valuation in you, Jesus. I see crazy high valuation in you. I see valuation in you that's greater than anything else in the land. There's nothing in my life that has higher valuation than you, Jesus. And because of it, I see worth in you and I have worth shift. I have worship in my life. Others don't have to see the value. I do, and I'm going to express it the same way David did. And that's what this is about. But not everybody sees it that way, and that's why the disciples were bothering her and taunting her, going, this is dumb. Get off the floor. You're acting foolish. You're wasting your money. This was just a big train wreck of a meal, and you really blew it for your future and what we could have done here, Mary. And Jesus says, stop. Why are you bothering her? All of you, stop and stop bothering her. Um, he, he ends up saying, don't bother her. Why would you interrupt this worship moment that she's doing? Uh, don't do it. He's basically saying her expression of worship, he actually says these words, her expression of worship was beautiful to me. Jesus says it's beautiful. Now, why is it that the followers of Jesus didn't see it as beautiful, but Jesus sees it as beautiful? Again, it's a dichotomy of worship and how we see valuation when it comes to our expression. Does this make sense? Because this is central to the story. You guys see this? Our valuation of Jesus and how we see if you really highly value, if you highly value Jesus, this is the one takeaway today. If you highly value Jesus, then you, do you have an expression of that? She had a high valuation of Jesus and an expression. And listen, Jesus said, it's beautiful. They might have said they had a valuation, but they didn't have an expression, nor could they appreciate an expression, and they said this expression is dumb and wasteful, and they were mad. But she has a valuation along with an expression, and Jesus says, this is absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, So here's what matters, guys, is they didn't get it, but Jesus did. God gets it, and sometimes people don't. Uh, The only thing that matters in worship, God, guys, the only thing that matters in worship is God's approval, not man's. You realize that? That's what matters. Jesus is saying, this is beautiful. This is worship. And they didn't understand what it is. So here's our sixth point. We're going to move through these last ones really quick. In fact, if the worship team could come up, that would be great. True worshipers, true worshipers are not worried about the approval of man or the disapproval of man. You can't worry about whether people approve the worship or you can't worry about if people disapprove your worship. 
Worship is adoration. It's your valuation of Jesus. If you have a high valuation of Jesus, God's ways, his kingdom, his purposes, his glory, if you have a high valuation, then you step into that. And if you don't, you step outside of that. It doesn't matter what people think. And if you and I care too much, if Mary was like, I wonder if the disciples are going to think this is dumb. I better not. Let me go put it away. They might think it's dumb. And I certainly won't get down on the dirty ground because they'll tell me, like, it's not kosher to be dirty on the ground and wiping my hair on people's feet. You know, that's not cool, so I won't do it. She's like, it doesn't matter what they think. What matters is what God thinks. I have a high valuation on Jesus, and I'm going for this. So that's really important, that true worshipers are not worried about the approval of man or the disapproval of man. The Apostle Paul says, if I was concerned about what other people think about me, he says, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other words, I serve him. He's my king. I can't, I can't put the approval of man over the approval of God in my life. He's saying if, if the approval of man was the ruling factor in my life, I could not live in that zone and still be a bondservant of Jesus at the same time. Because he's my Lord. He's the one over me, not the approval of man. See, if the approval of man is over you, then that becomes kind of a Lord. It's an idol. It's a thing. It's a king that we left, and we, we want to like, please that and live under that guidance. And, and Mary's like, no, I'm not living that way. I'm living under Jesus. I see high valuation in him, not the approval of man. That's a critical thing for all of us to uh, come to terms with. She was willing to worship unashamed, unhindered, and undignified. And if they want to call it undignified, fine. I don't think the Lord sees it as undignified, but the people likely did. Jesus is saying what she's doing is not undignified, guys. It's actually beautiful. And there's a big difference between undignified and beautiful in the eyes of God. Um, So, so many things are recorded in the gospel. We have so many stories. And John's gospel ends with this monumental thing. It says, there are so many things about Jesus that happen. So many stories. They can't even be contained in the book. If they were to write down all the profound things he said in the miracles, you couldn't even fit them in the book. So there's so many great things that he did you couldn't include. But Jesus says, let me just tell everyone here at this table before I go to the cross, one of my last few words that I'm going to share with you is what she did is beautiful, don't bother her. In fact, Jesus didn't stop there. This is the only time Jesus ever said this recorded in the Gospels. He said, I'm going to stop and I'm going to single her out. I'm going to single Mary out because what Mary did not only was awesome, I want everyone to know, he tells the disciples, what she did will be written down, it will be recorded, and it will be shared with every generation until I come back again. Think about this, guys. Is this a big deal or a little deal? Let me ask again. Is it a big deal or a little deal? You need to come to terms if it is. I think it's a big deal. There were people with faith in the Bible, people with this. He didn't say, stop, everyone, that man with the sun over there. His story is going to be shared in the gospel everywhere it's preached. It's in the gospel, but he didn't say something like that. But with Mary, this act of adoration, this valuation that she put on Jesus, this is remarkable in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of man all the time. And Jesus says, you know what? This is going to be shared wherever this gospel is preached. Till I come back again, Mary's story is going to be in it. It's in Mark's gospel, it's in John's gospel, it's in Matthew's gospel. It's been shared all over the world for 2,000 years and will continue to be until Jesus comes back. Why? For one reason. It, it marks a glaring reality that's central to the story we can't miss. What is that reality? <laughs> Jesus is worthy of it all. Jesus is just worthy of it all. And that's our seventh point. Jesus is simply worthy of it all. And if he is worthy of it all, then there's an expression. And if he's not worthy of it all, There's not. And Jesus said, she gets it. I'm pleased. Don't bother her. This is a beautiful thing. 
I don't recall Jesus saying it was a beautiful thing. Any of the other cool stories in the Bible, what people did? Here's a garment for you, Jesus. Okay, it was very nice. Thank you. But this is beautiful. Jesus is saying, this is beautiful. Worship is beautiful when you understand the worth of Jesus. And the last point is simply this, guys. If this is true, if Jesus is worthy of it all, if that is a fact, if it's a spiritual fact for you, then it, it does, in fact, demand a response. See, Je- so Mary didn't just learn this story, the principle that Jesus is worthy. Okay, I'll pass the test and get the right answer. Yes, Jesus is worthy. It's not just a knowledge thing. It's a reality to her. She knows it. No one had to teach her this story. It's a reality in her life, and it's evidenced by the expression that comes out of her. It was true. It demanded a response. And the last point is this, guys, is that our response to Jesus, our response, yours and mine, our response to Jesus' worthiness is a lifestyle of extravagant worship. It's a life, it's got to be an expression of worship. I would encourage you, if you really believe the value of Jesus, now I want to be fair, I've been coming to church for a while and I didn't understand the value of Jesus. I will confess that to you and it took me a while. But when I came to this situation of, Will I worship him? And worship is not just through song. It's through lifestyle. It's through many facets of our life. But literally, will I turn it all back around to be a fragrant aroma to him? And will I do it in a way that it doesn't matter if I get critique? It doesn't matter if people think it's undignified. Will I turn it back at him because I see high valuation? In fact, I see valuation in him that blows everything else away. His name is above every name. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. I see such value in Jesus that everything will pale in comparison. Uh, Instead of binging, as we said earlier, as we prayed before the service, instead of binging on Netflix, I want to binge on the presence of God. Instead of binging on Netflix, I want to binge on the presence of God. How about that? That's worship. That's seeing valuation in Jesus that other people aren't seeing. And they don't have to get it. They don't have to appreciate it. Uh, They might critique you and think, well, that's dumb. That's that's, That's fine. He's our king. This is where our value lies. Where our treasure is, our heart will be also. I see valuation in you, and if it, God. And if it is, we turn it and we aim it back. We aim it back in our expression. It doesn't matter if people think it's undignified or not. So right now I want to close in prayer, but I want to encourage you guys. Would you guys stand with me together? We're going to close in prayer. I, I want to ask God to uh, let us learn from Mary today, Lord. Let us learn from Mary. She got something as a worshiper that a whole room full of believers did not get. And I know because I was one of those that looked from the outside going, I don't get that stuff. It makes no sense to me and whatever. That's your style, but not mine. Um, So Lord, this is common in the body of Christ. This is common in the church. This was common with disciples who didn't understand worship because they didn't know how to place valuation the right way. Uh, but, But you say when we place valuation in you and your kingdom and your ways and your cause and your purpose and your goodness, you say it's a beautiful thing. Um, Lord, I pray we'd step into beautiful things. I pray that we would become worshipers. I, if that's you, just raise your hands to him right now and say, Lord, show me how to be a worshiper. If you don't want to be one, don't do this. Um, I don't want to provoke you into anything you don't want to do. But if you do, just raise your hands to him and just say, Lord, show me how to become a worshiper. Show me how to worship you in spirit and in truth. I'll, I'll become more undignified. Forgive me for holding on and being constrained. Not goofy or weird, just to be open and free with who you are and not worry about what other people think because I want to live to the audience of one, God. 
I don't live under the fear of man. I live for your glory, God. I want to worship in spirit and truth. I may not know what it is, but I'm willing to learn because you're looking for worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. Help me to walk in this. Help me to step into this, God. Help me. Let, let worship be this beginning. And Lord, maybe it needs to start with some gratitude. And maybe I don't have gratitude in my own house, starting with this temple of the spirit right here, our own selves. Maybe I don't have gratitude. So God, if I haven't been grateful, show me how to start being grateful, Lord. Because when we invite you into a place of gratitude, this is where everything turns around and changes the story. So I pray, Lord, if we've been bothered with things or weighed down by things or consumed with worry or want, we would turn it back around to a place of gratitude. And Lord, we'd have a holy visitation from you that we would invite you into our house, Lord in the privacy of our own house, in the privacy of our own room, bedroom, kitchen, living, wherever it is, God, but we would turn our gratitude towards you and we'd have an active expression of adoration and praise and we would meet with you in a glorious way. And God, the fragrance of heaven would fill the room. It would fill our room. It would fill the room of those around us and people will smell the fragrance of worship and they will know God is in this place and the presence of God cannot be denied or, or it can't be refuted, uh, Lord. When, when you showed up in Israel's presence, everyone knew the presence of God. The, the glory of God is presence because the glory has a weight. A weight is the term in, of, of glory and, and everyone feels it or everyone smells it. So Lord, I pray that our lives would be a fragrant offering to you and we'd be people who live in a place of adoration, undignified. If that's what it takes, we'll become more undignified than this. We love you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said... Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.